0: this is film school grab your popcorn class is about to begin hey everybody welcome back to the show matt thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me a little bit today
1: yeah thanks for having me eric
0: man right right when we were about to hit record we were we were talking a little bit and kind of started diving right into um kind of influences things that got you started in your music career and it's one of the things i like to talk about most you know i always talk about There's filmmakers that make films, and then there's films that make those filmmakers. And, um, you know, as much as I love watching a Tarantino, I like to watch the movies that Tarantino liked watching, or as much as I like watching a Spielberg, I like going back and watching what are the things that inspired him as a filmmaker. And so, before we get into Matt's journey, you know, now, take me back to like childhood, Matt. Like, what movies were you watching? What um you know what stood out to you and what kind of formed that that dna early on
1: wow okay uh childhood matt um childhood matt freaked his parents out because uh childhood matt really liked classical music and um you know would just sort of conduct hmm. uh, i had these videos of like um le- i think i had like a leonard bernstein uh leonard bernstein uh Uh, I had a concert, like his 80th birthday hosted Mm. by Beverly Hills. And I would watch that as a kid. And I think I had some videos of Seji Ozawa conducting too. Um, and I didn't have a lot of friends, uh, when I was very, very young, um, uh, you know, and I would pretend all of my toys were, were musical instruments. Um, so much so that my parents, um, Big shout out to them for you know everything. Uh, my parents got me when they got me you know weapons, to, toy weapons to play with mm. as a child. Like we're not we're not a pro we're not a violent pro weapon household yeah. by any <laughs> When they got me like toy weapons, I would pretend that they were weapons, and they were overjoyed. They're just sort of like, oh good, he's not
0: he's it's not, not a trumpet, anything. you know.
1: <laughs> he's, yeah, he's not making these into into instruments. But I remember pretending like my little Fisher Price ch- uh, shovel uh, with the yellow handle and the red, um, the red shovel part was a cello. Um, you know, but that's, I've always, that's all to say. I've always been obsessed with music, yeah. um, since a very, very early age. Um, I, ha- I did violin lessons when I was four and it didn't really take, I didn't enjoy it. Hmm. And so after less than a year of lessons, I said to my violin teacher, "This will be my last lesson," because I, I didn't really know how to say I don't like this. Yeah, um, I said it. But my folks, uh, my folks were just like, "Well, if he says it's his last lesson, it's his last lesson." Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got sort of, um, I, I wound up picking up. My my dad started teaching me piano a couple years later, and I stuck with it. And I'm glad I I'm glad I played, but it wasn't the instrument for me. With the right. instrument for me, was the bass. Mm. Um and I picked up an electric bass when I was 12 and picked up an upright bass when I was 14. And I never stopped playing. No. If I, I if I know anything about composition, it's because I'm a bass player. Because um, being a bass player, you're sort of the anchor of the harmony. You glue it to the rhythm. You have a really unique opportunity as a bass player to live inside the music. Mm. And I lived in, I've lived inside a lot of different kinds of music. Um, I've been able to take it apart. I've been able to see how it's see how it's made from the inside out. At orchestra rehearsals when I was a kid and when I was in college, I would really listen to see to. I would listen to the. I would listen to when the conductor would rehearse different sections, not necessarily the melody, but the harmonies and mm. the different rhythms, and see how it all kind of fit together. Then when I got to, when I got to college, I was a performance major, but I wanted to, I wanted to do something a little bit different. I entered as a jazz performance major, but I love so many different kinds of music. I mean, when I was, I played my, I've been playing bars since I was 16. Oh, I, wow. I, yeah. Um, played the triple rock, which was this club owned by, um, the guys in Dillinger four. Apparently they had, on um, there were some days where they would have unlimited baskets of bacon, but, um, I never. That was always that was always kind of a myth. I never I never witnessed that. <laughs> anyway, I that's all you know. I was an omnivore when I got to. I, I've always been a musical omnivore, and I didn't want to stick to one thing. Yeah. So, I convinced the I convinced the conservatory that I went to Oberlin Conservatory in Ohio to let me sort of take a broader view of the kind of musical voice that I wanted to craft yeah. for myself. And a big part of that was writing a film score because I've always been interested in the music that makes movies. When I was, when did the sixth sense come out? 99.
0: Yeah. I would say like 97, 99, somewhere in there.
1: Yeah. I was 11 or 12 Mm -hmm. and I saw it in theaters and it kept me up for two weeks straight. (laughs) Um, and a large part of that had to do with the score, you know, the moment or before Cole saw a ghost, hmm. um, was this sort of haunting, buzzing? It almost sounded like bees. Yeah. There was something just totally alien that I couldn't get a foothold into. And I knew something was coming. I knew what it was, but I didn't know the particulars. So I would sort of psych myself out. And then when the jump scare would come, you know, I was already pretty, pretty wound up.
0: Right. Right.
1: Um, and I. It stayed. That feeling really stayed with me, hmm. and it's never left.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's. I was listening to you on a another interview somewhere. Like I kind of was. Yeah. Uh, and and there were you were talking a little bit about music and sound design and uh you know cinematography and like how it all is just kind of this piece of a puzzle. You know, and it was interesting because I'm uh, I took piano for several years. I don't know any piano now. Like yeah. I it was. It was like banging my head against the wall, you know. Yeah. And um finally my piano teacher was like, I don't think that you're gonna get this, <laughs> you know, it was like, I don't I think you should try pursuing things that you are passionate about and and can succeed in. And um, but it's interesting hearing you talk about all these different instruments and picking apart an orchestra. And like, I know for me. I relate to that in terms of film. Like I I've I'll watch something and pick apart the music, the cinematography, like how these things all work together. Um and uh, coming from a musical background, like when you would watch these films, did you catch yourself only tuning into the music or being taken out by the music or were you able to experience movies just as a whole, you know, like take it all for what it is versus just focusing on, you know, say the score?
1: I think I was always I was always able to take everything as a whole. Mm. That was never, that was never super difficult. I could, I mean, music could make or break a music can make or break a scene, obviously. Yeah, right. But um, oftentimes, I would, you know, I would focus on the music that made the that made the scenes. Mm. Um, when I watch, like the Quen- we talked about Quentin Tarantino a little bit, um, or you mentioned you mentioned Tarantino. And um, when I saw Pulp Fiction, what made that movie for me was the music. Yeah. But I got the soundtrack because the movie was so good Mm -hmm. because it made me think of the movie. I I remember listening on repeat to Lonesome Town, Mm -hmm. the Ricky Nelson song.
0: Yeah, it's
1: just so so sad. And for some reason, that made it onto the soundtrack, and it, it worked. Right, but. It made me think of Pulp Fiction. You know, it's it's all, um, it's all kind of it's you know yeah. goes back and forth. And the Kill Bill soundtrack was an even bigger thing. I would yeah. listen to the Isaac Hayes the Isaac Hayes track on that. Um, I think it's when she's doing it. There's a training montage mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, I would listen to that and think of the training montage when I would drive. But I would also you know it wouldn't take me wouldn't take me out of my I didn't imagine it so much that I'd lose myself in it, but it was just a nice association I had.
0: Sure, yeah. Well, well, you mentioned before we hit record, you were talking about scores and soundtrack, and I think, you know, because I'm not a musical prodigy, you know, sometimes I get intimidated. I'm most intimidated when I sit down with with people that work with music because I'm always like, I don't know this technical term for this, but um, I always go back to to story big movie moments that we associate with music, like what we're discussing. And I think when you think composer, your instant thoughts are like John Williams, Superman, you think of star Wars, you think of, and it's so funny because most of the tracks you think of are all John, like you think of all these massive, you know, blockbuster scores. Um, you know, you were saying you weren't, you, you love those, you were drawn to those, but you liked some of these stranger kind of indie soundtracks and scores. What was it about some of those like say John Carpenter that really stood out to you and drew you to them more than these massive orchestras doing the Superman theme or, you know, the star Wars soundtrack or something along those lines.
1: That's a great question. Um, John Carpenter, I mean, I, I, John Carpenter, I, I, am a fan of John Carpenter, but I think more, there are other composers that are sort of cut from this cloth that had a bigger mm-hmm. impact on me. Um, you know Ennio Morricone before he did before he did those you know the mission or whatever. Right. He did string of Dario Argento movies yeah. like early ones, and I love those. I think there's something there's something so adventurous about what he does.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but it's still melodic. Mm-hmm. the The bird with the crystal plumage kind of made me. It was one of the things that um, made me want to move out here. Just. Hmm. Uh, was one of the scores that made me want to move out here because it um, it's so integral to the movie and it's so all over the place, yeah, just like the movie. But it does it in a way that doesn't feel safe. Yeah. I grew up playing in punk bands, so I like music that doesn't feel safe. Right. I like music that um, that challenges you, but you still want to sing along with it. Hmm. Um, the The other thing. The other soundtrack that I always had in my mind, or one of the other soundtracks I always had in my mind, was Cliff Martinez's score to drive. Hmm. Now, that's not a safe soundtrack because, in the hands of so many people, that could have been just this pounding, right? Percussive, orchestral heavy action score. And what does he do? He uses something called a crystal bechet, which is a um, or a bechet crystal to score it, which is essentially a a descendant of the glass harmonica,
0: hmm. which
1: is rotating glass cone. You, you know, you know what it is, hmm. right?
0: I yeah. don't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a, it's a glass instrument that you rub to make sounds. And so it has this kind of sound. So instead of becoming, instead of becoming a movie, you know, instead of becoming this sort of taut action thriller drive also has this dimension of tenderness to it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I liked that, I mean, I loved the sound palette, first of all, because it was just so alien at right. the time I heard anything like it, but I also liked, um, that it added a sort of month, it added a different dimension to the movie. Um, so it has this, it ha- it has this kind of sympathetic undercurrent to it. Yeah. You really, you really feel for the driver and, you know, whenever, in that scene where he says to, um, he says to that character, like, if you don't tell me, if you don't give me this information or, you know, you're going to leave a, you know, you left a little boy without a father, I'm going to hurt you. Something like, you really feel, you really think that he's, he cares for this kid. I'm probably misremembering parts of it, but the point is that character, um, the score kind of imbues that character who's just sort of, um, you know, Ryan Gosling's performance is so restrained and so minimal, it it really adds some emotional weight to it.
0: Right. Um I just looked and, up a crystal Bechet and I'm like, yeah, never seen this before look. in my life. Yeah, it's it's very odd. Yeah. But, can you can you describe it? Uh I mean it is like a it's it looks alien. I mean it looks like a, a strange yeah. Um, I mean, it's like three discs and a interesting pair. It's huge too. Yeah. Which is bizarre. Cause you look at the picture. I mean, it looks like a piece of modern art, <laughs> but it's yeah. an instrument, I suppose. I wouldn't even yeah. know how to approach it.
1: Yeah. Um. Another movie that another movie that I really liked was clute. The one mm-hmm. that. that I liked it's Alan J. Pacula. It's part of the his paranoia trilogy with all the president's men hmm. um and the music for that the music for that feels the, there's a theme for that the theme yeah. song is just eerie and terrifying yeah um but in such a subtle way it doesn't it's not music that beats you over the head with what it's supposed to be it just sort of gently nudges you to your interpretation of what the what the movie should be
0: do you um, ever like music that beats you over the head and says, Here I am? I love it. <laughs> because love it. I, you were mentioning, you know, Drive, and you were mentioning, I and mean, you mentioned Maricone, which I, a lot of Maricone scores, like, I mean, Once Upon a Time in the yeah. West is one of my favorite movies of all time. And the score is almost a horror movie score in some of the mm-hmm. scenes. And it is very much a horror movie in a lot of scenes. Um, But in it, and then you see like Hateful Eight in 2015, like he's coming back and doing another version of that i feel like yeah even better i would say um but then you have scores like you mentioned kind of the drama like Pino denagio score and blowout that has this like very melodramatic almost like and de palma has this too it's so melodramatic where like he teeter totters to where it could be just way over the over the top to where it yep. loses you but it never does um I I have a special place in my heart I guess for scores like that that are like so like the love song in that in that movie is and um Tarantino actually used it in Death Proof but like it's so melodramatic and so look at me that mm-hmm. it's like it becomes its own thing like its own scene is like this yeah. this score that comes in so I was curious if you like that or if you found it distracting
1: Oh I love it
0: hmm. it's
1: so fun I mean Jaws, I think, is my yeah. favorite. Name score. That's a character.
0: That's a legit character, a character in the movie. Yeah, a
1: right. Yeah. Um, the Star Wars scores. I mean, those are yeah. those are Right.
0: Um,
1: Alan Silvestri's scores to the scores to the Avengers movies. Hmm. I think are just brilliant. Yeah. And they're so not subtle. Right. Um, but they're so well done. Right. Yeah. I. Those are that was my favorite part of infinity war which my hot take is the saga should have ended after infinity war Mm -hmm. there shouldn't have been an end game Mm. yeah (laughs) just leave it dark (laughs) 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 just half of the characters are dead
0: yeah yeah it would be it would be interesting that's Um, why
1: these decisions though um
0: yeah uh i mean um yeah i'm i the new saw movie's coming out and um it looks like i'll be talking to charlie Klauser. It'll be awkward if I don't. And I mentioned this, but like, you know, the big reveal is like pinned with this score that just ramps up and ramps up and ramps up to where it's blowing your mind as this twist that by you know movie six, there's like six twists on top of each other (laughs) layered in. So the score just keeps going, going. But yeah, there's there's so many iconic films where like those moments are so underlined by some you know some piece of music um in yeah. uh, yeah. oh sorry go ahead
1: oh no you you go
0: ahead. um yeah. well i, I was going to say you know going into into bell which i hope this isn't too too much of an abrupt uh you know <laughs> kind of uh drive into it but um you know when i got reached out to cover it and i read like beauty and the beast you know take and I almost responded just instantly. I was like, no, not interested. You know, like, um, yeah, you know, I, I know the story. You know, which I think is actually some something like the tagline of the movie is like the tale is old as time. They kind of riff on that a little bit. Um, yeah. But I went and watched the trailer because I've had a couple times I've been reached out with a, a movie to cover or to talk about, and I go no. And then I watched the trailer and I'm like, yes, let's let's do it. And this was one of those projects where I hear being the Beast*, I'm like we we all know the story we know this and i go watch the trailer and i see the cinematography makes it look more like you know the northmen than disney you know and the music is is not this fantastical storybook music that we may associate with the disney property or musicals that we've seen or or cw productions that we've seen and um, it, it's one of those things though where it's such an iconic story the Disney movie occupies so much of pop culture e- even people that have done their own takes borrow so heavily that it all feels connected going into something like that how how much are you drawn to go let's look at these iconic things that have been done before and riff on them versus let's go like where do you even start like do you start with just like blank slate let me block out everything I already know or is it, how do I pay homage to what's been done while also giving it its completely own direction?
1: Um, I, I mean, going into this project, I understood that it wasn't going to be like the Disney version, Yeah, uh, we yeah. all understand. That. Sure. Um, I think it's a, you know, coming from a place where I had read the script and I had read drafts of the script, I think it's a love, it's a story about love first, mm. it's a take on Beauty and the Beast second. Um, Beauty and the Beast is just a, it's the most effective vehicle for the story that Max wanted to tell. Mm. Um, yeah, I didn't, I never go in, I tried not to go into any movie that I work on, um, with any notions. I try to go in totally unassuming. I try to go in with a blank slate. Um, I, I just try to, I, I try to go in assuming that like, there's a story that we want to tell that hasn't been told in the way that we quite in the way that we want to tell it. And it's my job to help tell it. So, Mm. um, yeah, I mean, the Disney thing never, never really figured into how we wanted to tell it. If anything more of an influence was the Cocteau version. Mm. There are some moments that I, I don't want to get too heavily into spoilers, but there are some moments where we, um, we, we did, we did some things filmically that more resemble the cocktail version than yeah. than anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as my score, I didn't feel any sort of pressure to do um to do anything like Beauty and the Beast, the the Disney movie. Right. I just wanted to I just wanted to do something that felt like our movie.
0: No. Yeah. I've yeah.
1: seen I've seen Beauty and the Beast so many times. Like as a kid, yeah. I grew up in the I grew up in the Disney clamshell case video cassette age. So right. I had a copy. I watched it a bunch. At one point, I could probably sing along with the whole thing. Yeah. I I couldn't anymore. It's been ages since I've seen it, but it's in my marrow.
0: So. Yeah, the movie itself does a good job of not trying to do what say, say the horror version of Winnie the Pooh that came out recently. That goes. I have not seen it. I've seen the see the trailer for it. You know. But it's clearly is trying to stick its fingers in the eye of the childhood story and go so far in the other direction into full-on horror, terror, you know, and really just, just like rip apart anything you already know. I feel like Bell really balances that of like we're gonna go in a more scary adult horror direction while maintaining some of the things that are beautiful about the story. Um, with the music did you, was your initial inkling to go like, how scary can we go or how far away from melodic and beautiful and sweet, you know, as people may come to expect?
1: Well, my initial conversations with Max, um, the first score that he, he showed me was the Ocarina of time by Zelda. That was his interesting real reference. Cause he, um, he really loved that score um he he kind of saw he sort of saw Bell's journey as being somewhat related and i mean mm-hmm. you know this this young woman moving through these kind of unreal landscapes i think is probably fair to say and so I listened to a lot of them uh, i listened through the score and um that was my initial reference but he also gave me a pretty long leash yeah. um so to speak. And when I went to Iceland to visit the set, which is something he strongly encouraged me to do, right. um, I did so with the understanding that my, um, the Iceland that I sort of took home with me would make it into the score. So it was a lot of, a lot of sort of more raw sounds, a lot of female vocals that I imagined doing these kind of crunchy harmonies. Like the I, when I got off the plane and took the bus to, um, and took the bus to the town where I was staying. I was listening to the Bulgarian Women's Choir hmm. and Johann Johans. And the Bulgarian Women's Choir is fantastic. And they've been on some Kate Bush records. Um, The Sensual World, hmm. most hmm. notably. That's probably my favorite Kate Bush record. Um and um yeah, I mean, Beauty and the Beast, again, not I didn't, yeah, didn't feel any, didn't feel any pressure to. Didn't feel any pressure to make something sweet or horrific i just wanted to make something authentic
0: yeah i mean i I was curious if you had gone to iceland and visited the set because it does the score feels so true to what you picture when you see the scenery and you you know it Mm -hmm. feels um it just feels to fit like a glove you know like it really really works um and Yeah. I mean, Iceland, speaking of characters in the movie, like Iceland is a character, like visually, like to me, that's one of the selling points of the movie, I think is just like, look at this, like this feels otherworldly. Um, How, how long were you there? Like, did you, did you get to really spend a lot of time, like watching the film come together? Like, or were you there for a couple of days, like trying to grab as much as you can before heading back?
1: I was there for 10 or 12 days, I don't remember. Okay, which. Uh. Um I stayed I stayed at the at the place where a lot of our um where uh, you know some of our crew was staying just outside of Reykjavik and I went to a couple of shoot days. So I went to the I went to Papa and Bell's house. Hmm. And my directive whenever I went to a shoot day was basically just we are a well-oiled machine, stay hidden. Hmm. And so I, I didn't exactly stay hidden, but I stayed out of everybody's way. I got lost in some woods a couple of times. I wandered up some mountains, um, found some some little rivulets and waterfalls. There there are so many, so many beautiful yeah. waterfalls in Iceland. So many beautiful things. You can't you can't really turn around a full circle without spotting something otherworldly and beautiful. Um, but yeah, I. So I went to Papa's house and I went to Beast Cave, mm. and I just hung out and I just recorded nature sounds and water sounds and wind sounds. Our sound recordist basically—I had this grand idea that I'd record nature sounds when I was there. Um, and Casey, our sound recordist, was like, "You know, most of it is most of it is just wind, and most mm. of it is empty space." So I did a lot of recording, but I also just did a lot of listening. And it turns out, it turns out there's a lot of different kinds of wind. Hmm. It turns out there's a lot of different kinds of water, um, and the way the wind can move through the air in Iceland is so different. If you're listening closely enough, uh, than the way that the wind moves through the air in, say, Los Angeles, where there's yep. all kinds of, you know, car exhaust and particulate matter here. It's all it's all geothermal out there so um it just feels so clean so much so that it was a shock to my system um but that wind um the wind the sound of the wind had a heavy influence on the score the um the clarity the space it's all there
0: It feels like it fits like a glove like that's that's all I can think to say about it. I mean it really does feel I, I feel that way the way I do about the Northmen you know when I watch that like the music, in that complements that and it takes you back like you feel you time traveled to a different period (laughs) like a hundred percent um you know going about it too like did you how much of it was you working through different instruments on your own did you have a team of people that were helping bring those sounds together um know, obviously you had some like vocals and things like did you have a lot at your disposal to be able to go let's let's really push this as far as we can um or was it let's keep this kind of minimal and and try to approach it in a really you know a really simpler you know kind of way
1: i had um i had a mac 2013 mac pro some hard the answer
0: i thought you were gonna say Um, here
1: (laughs) um an upright bass uh three two or three analog synths a digital synth um and a living room yeah and that's basically it later on in the process um there was a a violist and a trio of vocalists that i brought on to help sweeten the cues but by and large i did and um the final suite um max's dad mike who uh was one of my first teachers ever um played the jazz bass solo Hmm. But other than that, I did everything myself. I played all the other upright bass parts. I programmed everything. I arranged everything. Um, I made the patches on the synths. It's just me in my living room and mostly a a, a bathroom.
0: Was it hard maintaining that Because I mean, I have to imagine coming back, you've got all this like magic you've tried to capture in a bottle of like, here's the environment. Like then you're sitting in your living room and like have to go to work. Like what was it difficult maintaining that energy or that like, this is what I want it to feel like throughout the course of that project. Because I I know like there's a lot of times like I do shooting and editing and then I'll go film something and it's amazing. And then you sit down, you start looking at the footage and you're like, is this amazing? I don't know. And then it starts coming together. Like, it's this very emotional kind of journey and process. Um, Did it feel that way? Like, you go to Iceland, it's this magical place. And then you have to come back and recreate this in your living room without a bunch of people to bounce off of, you know, through that process.
1: Um, No, I I enjoy the process of of tinkering Mm. and putting together a score. I did... We did about three drafts of the score, like and it's around sixty-five minutes of music. So wow. a lot of music. And it's
0: an 80 minute movie, right? I mean it's like, about yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't know if all 65 made it in. Yeah. Um I haven't like sat with a stopwatch and figured out how much it's how much
0: it's pretty walt- it's wall to wall, I felt. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, which is intentional and which I, I appreciate. Um but at one point the score, you know, at one point I did kind of get burnout. That's, that's the thing that, that was a real challenge. I love, normally I love tinkering. I love working, but I was doing all of this by myself in between March, 2020 and June, 2020. Yeah.
0: And And that was a time where there was a lot of, you could get out of the house and you could go hang out with people and go, go relax and unwind. Yeah. Super, super chill time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think the, and it was hot. It was really really hot and I can't work with the air conditioner on Mm. my apartment because it picks up sounds. So, or because my mics will pick up the sound and it makes us, so it'll interfere with my ability to hear my mixes. Mm. So it was, there was a pandemic. Uh, there was, you know, there were, there were black people being, you know, being murdered by cops and we were mm-hmm. all seeing it in a way that I think was clicking. I mean, that's been going on for a long time, a very yeah. long, pretty long time there have been cops, but, um, I think it was hitting different for, for a lot of people. Right. Because, cause we were inside, because we had more tools to capture it.
0: Yeah. Um, we're forced to stop and yeah. look at whatever's put in front of us. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it was just, and on top of it, you know, usually I get, I get to be in a room with Max when we work on stuff because we've worked on so many things, but we were working on, we were working on this movie and we were just emailing back and forth and having zoom calls. And there was latency with the, with the audio, because I don't think we had, I don't think I had discovered audio movers yet. Mm. Um, and it was just like, that was the hard part, the hard part. That was the part that really weighed on me. Just making a solitary massive score that I had to sound, I had to make sound massive by myself in my living room when the world was literally on fire and there was a plague, basically. Right. Um, And then one day, Max gave me some temp music and said, "I want it to sound like this." And usually, when I get temp music, I just you know?
0: crumple it and throw it? <laughs> no, no not at kidding. all.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, some people do that, but not me. I love Temp. Um, when you talked about wanting to see the movies that influence Tarantino after mm. you see Tarantino's movies, A, I did that, or I do that, and B, I do that with music. Mm. So when I get a piece of Temp, I try to go as deep as I can, and then I try to go sideways, and I try to figure out what spawned that music so I can make yeah. something in dialogue. With the temp, so that it doesn't sound like a sound alike. Hmm, um, yeah. Anyway, he gave me a piece of temp, and I was reading about it, and it was all hand-built instruments. Hmm. Sound unrecognizable, and I was just like, "Man, what the fuck!" Like, I was so just put out by it because um, I was like, "How am I going to do this?" And then, instant, there was just sort of this thing that's—it was like a switch that flipped and a big shift, and it was like no, I don't have to do this. I get to do this. I get to be the one to, I get to, I have a unique opportunity to be the architect of the sound for this movie to make it sound authentic. And I'm a resourceful, I think it's fair to say that I'm a resourceful person. Um, you know, and I can, I should be able to figure this out. Right. I've been recording my own stuff since I was, uh, since I was a kid, I've been playing in punk bands. I'm, you know, I'm used to being a, I'm used to kind of being a little scrappy. Um, and I was like, okay, like rolled up, rolled up my sleeves and I I got to work and then there was, there was no looking back. Um, yeah. And I'm really grateful that I'm really grateful that I got that challenge to just like the sound, the instruments, the instruments don't exist, but the sound does come close to it in a way that, um, that makes sense for
0: this movie. Yeah, I love that perspective. I've I've talked to quite a few um composers who hate temp music and they, you know, like they and and editors as well. Like I've talked to a lot of people that just despise temp music because it's either like um I talked to one guy, he's like, it's unfair because you're getting handed like they tempt it all with you know John Williams or or Eddie Americone and then like all these people, yeah. it's like I'm not them, you know, like this is, you know, how do I match that iconic score? That's everybody uses. Um, but then also I, I, I like your approach though, what where it's like, it's almost, Hey, you know, max through this temp music in here. Like, what did he like about that? Like what drew him to that piece of music? I think that's a super healthy reframe instead of being like, well, I'm not going to do that. You know, it's like, what did he like? Yeah. What were the pieces he liked? And and I love that you used, you know, it sounds like you improvised a lot with sound effects and with things that you did record in person, which I think is a really cool, it, it gives it that handmade feel that like, yeah. again, makes the movie not feel like, it doesn't feel like stock music. Because I think when you think of any of these types of stories, you think of, you know, at least for me, I think of these very like just simple orchestral pieces of music that you just like, yeah, throw that on there. And then, you know, I was listening to the track. Thank you. Um, this morning just to, to listen to again, which I think is my favorite of the tracks that have been released from it. Um, it, it's a really beautiful piece of music. And again, it, it feels like it's from another time. Like it feels like it's a very, Again, it feels like you time travel a little bit when you're listening to to the music. Um, it's a it's a beautiful piece of work, um, but it has that quality where it feels like it wasn't made using modern means. <laughs> it's it just has yeah. that otherworldly quality to it. So um, it, I think it's interesting hearing it was music inspired by these handmade instruments. You're traveling to Iceland. You're capturing stuff on location, like all of that amalgamates to this unique score. Yeah. You know, well, but, thank you. you
1: know. I really, really appreciate that. Um, yeah. I should say that the sounds themselves that I recorded did not make it into the score, but approximating the sounds and feelings right. <clears throat> is what my goal was. So the way I did that was, I mean, with synthesizers, you have a, 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 many synthesizers have a noise generator that you can sort of, you know, you can add usually to add kind of a percussive, a percussive hit or a percussive tinge mm-hmm. to a Um, and for this, it adds a layer. I I like the way that the noise generators can just add a layer of wind sounds, which is another So every synth patch I designed, my challenge to myself was there needs to be something that sounds like wind, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's actually adding a noise generator or a noise tail, whether it was just sort of running the noise gen, um, by itself and adjusting that sound, whether it was, you know, adjusting the resonance field, there are any number of ways you can make something sound like there's wind blowing through it Mm -hmm. on a synthesizer and on the upright base. It's you're creating motion. When you draw the bow across the string, you're creating motion with the bow, Mm -hmm. you're creating motion with the string. So there is some, you know, there is some movement in the air and, um, the way that I kind, you know, I tried to do a couple of things to make that sound windier too. So I would I would loosen the bow hair on on my strings to add a layer or on my bow um to add a layer of grit and noise mm-hmm. above the above the strings so that it almost sounds so that the sound was a little raspier, so that it's not right. like there's escaping. Um there's another technique that I used um called artificial harmonics, mm-hmm. which is Essentially, where you shorten the length of the string, um, and when you every string has like you know overtones, right? Um, if you ever played, have you ever played a guitar? No, no. If you touch certain points of the string, just touch it, not pressing down. The sound is a little higher. The sound is a lot higher, um, mm-hmm. and that's because what you're doing is you're activating um, you're activating the the overtones of the of the low string. So. If you shorten the string length, those high notes become higher. So I really shorten the string. Um, and I would, you know, find other harmonics, hmm. other, these other drones, um, and I would play them lightly so that it sounded like there's sort of this wind whistling through glass effect. Hmm. Um, plus brass instruments for, for Papa, you know, those are literally wind tunnels, basically, yeah. for wind, so, um. Everything I did, and everything I did, I tried to add that feeling of different. Ki- I tried to add different kinds of wind, like the different kinds of wind yeah. that I heard, and the reverbs that the reverbs that I added to um, to all of the sounds. I think reflected the different kinds of space that I could sure. hear. I could hear the emptiness sort of echoing in.
0: Yeah, um, like a, like the cave versus you know bell's house versus outdoors versus you know
1: field yeah versus a forest like i tried to create these sort of impossibly empty impossible empty spaces
0: Mm. yeah Yeah. you're a scientist is what i'm figuring out
1: (laughs) i don't know about that i think i really like sounds yeah yeah i really like making music i mean um and i like flying by the seat of my pants which at a certain point when what what one of the things I love about working with Max is when, when we find a, when we find a good sound, when we find a sound that works, we get really excited.
0: Right. And yeah.
1: Just try to we just try to put it into we just try to put it in wherever it works. We've done that on every every project we've worked on, every narrative project. If we discover a sound, we'll go back and figure out how do we use this to enhance the other cues right. so that it ties it to the movie and enhances the scene.
0: Yeah. 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 Love that. Well um I definitely think anyone listening should check out Bell and for me I know like the the two biggest things that stood out to me were the music and the cinematography like those two things and I think anyone who watches the trailer that is sitting here going like I don't want to watch a Beauty and the Beast tale you know like I already know this it's just very different you know like I I, I don't know I don't know how to explain too much of that without giving it away it's a very different take on it. Um listen to the track. I'll link to that in the show notes. Like just listen to the first track of music that Thank you. is is great, you know. Um before we before I let you go, um, I have to ask you some questions, I ask everybody that comes on the show because I want to know your answers to them. Uh, we've got about nine minutes, so we'll try to get through these. Uh, but hopefully they don't hopefully they don't take too, too long. Um, first and foremost, uh, if you had to program a double feature with Bell, uh, what would you pick and why? Oof. Jeez, Um, if I had to program a double feature with
1: Bell, um, I think, um, let's get weird with it. Let's go the Juniper tree.
0: Hmm. I've not seen that. I'm adding that to my list.
1: Yeah. Um, it's another. It's another kind of Icelandic, Icelandic fairy tale, very different and very very dark. And Bjork is in it, and um, the score. To, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Bjork as an influence on the score. Um, I I've loved her music since I was a kid. Um, I've been fascinated with her since she showed up to the Oscars in that swan dress. Mm-hmm. Um, but Medulla is one of my favorite albums ever, and. Those vocal harmonies and vocal textures were a very big influence on the vocal harmonies and vocal textures in Bell. Hmm. Um, and I think the tone the tone of the juniper tree is is a nice is a nice fit.
0: Okay. Yeah, I added it to my list. I have a I always have my notes stock out with like questions. And then now it's just kind of a list of like a billion movies that have been mentioned. I'm like, I gotta check that out. Um Right under beaches from 1988. Still I got to watch that. I think that was a Berkeley Brady recommendation. <laughs> She's like, you got to yeah. watch beaches. Um, so. I, yeah.
1: Is, is that with, who's that with again?
0: Um, oh yeah. man. I'm going to blank on her name. Uh, I wish I had Google right in front of me. Here we go. Um, uh, Bette Midler yeah that miller yeah she she recommended that i think yeah. that was her double feature recommendation between her movies she's like watch beaches It kind of sums up yeah. everything you need to know about me um uh who do you think is the most underrated artist working today
1: uh the most underrated artist in any any it medium. can be in
0: any facet um I mean it could be it could be in music it could be just a filmmaker that you love that you don't feel like is getting the attention they deserve um any any underrated artist
1: any underrated artist oh boy um let's see uh oh god that's so tough um I know if I know whatever I answer, I'm going to come up with like a million different ones later. Um, But I I guess I'll go, um, I don't know, maybe, um, I'm just looking at my records right now. They're right behind you. I'm trying to think if there's anything, anything there. Um, I don't know, Cliff Martinez. I never, I don't hear his name as much as I, as much as I used to.
0: Is he um, a Composer. Composer. Yeah, what?
1: Cliff Martinez.
0: Only did, God Forgives, did, Drive.
1: He did Drive. Um
0: he did uh the Neon Demon, I think. I think. I I gotta see that. I've I've it's been on my list forever. I gotta I gotta cross Neon Demon off the yeah. list for sure. Yeah.
1: He did Only God Forgives, which is a, a really good score. Hmm. Um yeah, I just I just think he's fantastic.
0: Oh I'm I'll have to check him out um what do you think is the this really really easy one what is the best decade of film history
1: the best decade of film history um uh best best by any metric or best,
0: best what, what, what do you think is the best you know like i i my answer to this is always i kind of think it's it's kind of half decades like i always my answer is always the reactionary half of a decade after a super sanitary half of a decade so you know you've got the well i mean look at the early 2000s and how dark and gritty that got and then we shifted into the big budget superhero kind of, you know a little bit more you know family blockbuster and now we're kind of shifting into like yeah, Babylon and you have like this long list of movies that are starting to come out that are that are really aggressive and, you know, pushing boundaries a little bit. So, um, yeah, but I mean, for me, like I my go to is kind of always the 70s because I feel like it was such a reaction to <clears throat> the super clean 50s and a lot of the 60s. But again it yeah. would be like the half decade of the latter half of the 60s has a lot of gold in it so um but it can it's all personal preference at the end of the day because there's great movies every decade
1: i mean immediately immediately coming to my i mean it's it depends on the day like you could you can right. make seven the 70s i wouldn't argue with you yeah. um i'm gonna make the case right now for for the 80s yeah um I'm mostly thinking about like the ways that synthesizers were used um, in film scores uh, and things like that. I think that's really important. Yeah. Uh, but far as far as, you know, not, not even just important, it's just fun. I mean, aliens, that's a fun movie. Yeah. I really, really love that movie. Um, and like uh, videodrome
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's fun too. I mean, it's, it's gross, but it's yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Blade Runner. Any decade that Blade Runner is part of is going to be, you know, yeah. Blade Runner is my favorite film score. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cronenberg cr- uh, um, yeah, Kron- Kron- movies are fun, but they're definitely a weird thing to say is fun. <laughs> like it's, yeah. The, but there, there is a lot of fun to be had in them. Um, I, I actually had never seen a Cronenberg movie till this year. And started. It was like one of those things where I was like, "It's getting inexcusable that like it's just been on my list." So I started like watching through them, and then watching The Fly, which is a really fun movie. Oh, God, um, it's fun. And uh, and then you know, moving into even uh, recent projects, I'm, I don't know why I'm blanking on the name. Um, oh, Crimes of the Future. You know, like watching that and just seeing the the kind of evolution of him as a filmmaker was really yeah. interesting, especially when we go yeah. back to like his first projects, like, you know, rabbit and, and how different, but how similar all of his work is over the last couple decades. Yeah. Uh, the brew, the brew yeah. was
1: great. I mean, Howard shore is his go-to. Yeah. And Howard shore. I mean, of course, Lord of the rings, like,
0: right. Yeah. That's a little that's project. A, people probably yeah. know about, you know, yeah. Lord of the rings.
1: <laughs> I mean, talk about big budget scores that really do it for me. Yeah.
0: I mean, Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, If you were given the green light to, I'll say rescore, if you were given the green light to remake any film, uh, what would you choose and why? Is there, is there a certain project that, you know, a sequel or a remake you'd love to tackle like a new take on? Oh God,
1: so many. (laughs) I, I would love to, I would love to score. I mean, if there's ever I would love I would have loved to have scored one of the Exorcist movies, hmm. you know. Um, that would have been really fun. I'm sure those are I don't know who's doing them, but I'm stoked I for
0: I don't uh, know who's doing the new one. Um yeah, I, or the
1: yeah, there's another thing that I don't know who's scoring, but I would have loved to have gotten that call. And yeah. of course I'm going to uh the three body problem. Hmm. Um the books were fantastic, the six and Lou... Remembrance of Earth's past sci-fi books. And Netflix is making a series out of loved, 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 loved to have done that.
0: Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to see. Now I'm curious who's doing The Exorcist. Um, David Gordon Green, Well, he's directing. Yeah. Three- um, I know he's directing. He brought in Jennifer Nettles, so Righteous Gemstones. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Crew's rolling in. Uh, composer. I don't see the composer on IMDb. Interesting, huh? I don't know. Well, it may may be placements. I'm sorry.
1: It may be placements. I know that for the original Exorcist, um, Lalo Schifrin originally wrote the score, but it was too scary. That's
0: Um, such such a funny critique. Um, Yeah,
1: it was too. It was just too evil sounding. And I know that they used a lot of placements, like they used.
0: I mean, have they heard tubular bells that's like the most evil sounding soundtrack ever, but
1: yeah, but even that was like, that was on a record, that was on a record before the exorcist. Right. Um,
0: Yeah. They just used it. it Yeah. Interesting. Um, Which of your projects do you think is the best representation of you as a creator?
1: Um, that is a great question.
0: I love asking when people are promoting a movie because they're always like, of course, this project (laughs) is it. But I'm always curious to know if there's like one that stands out that's like, you know, this is me. um,
1: I won't say that. I mean, I think Bell is as good a representative of any about my kind of idea about how the score should contribute to world building. Mm -hmm. Um, Because... I think the goal with bell was to create this sort of unreal The goal with the bell score was to help tell the story, but to do it in a way that creates an unreal environment that could only fit that film. Um, I think that's kind of, that's something I always aim to do. And I got sort of the widest, I got sort of the most, uh, the most rope to, to work with. And, um, uh, I got the most music to write I mean 65 minutes of music is yeah. a lot of so it was wall to wall um I mean my favorite scores are the ones that feel like they're coming from the world within the movie mm. I think Blade Runner is my favorite because it feels like it's coming from that world no yeah. it feels like it doesn't feel like there's an orchestra commenting it feels like the commentary is happening from inside the movie and it's mm. moving from the movie and I wanted that for. I wanted that for Bell. I want that for every movie, but I think it was especially important for a, um, a movie like Belle that is a fantasy. Um, and I feel like I'm, I'm happy with, I'm really happy with what we got. And I feel like that's a good, I feel like it's a great, um, I think it, it pretty best, rep- it best represents how I feel about world building. Yeah. And um, the lengths that I'll go to make it happen
0: yeah absolutely you know, literally to
1: the ends of the, i went
0: to iceland to the ends of the earth <laughs> yeah 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 i'll
1: yeah yeah i i go i i wanted to go all in i want to go all in with all of my scores but this one i I really really it took me you know it took us a year to work on yeah. a trip to iceland we worked through a pandemic a pivotal time in, in history and um i just i like going all in and this yeah. was a life
0: well, you may have inadvertently answered my next question, but what is the best piece of advice you would give to an aspiring filmmaker who's listening to this?
1: Uh, don't listen to me. <laughs> I yeah,
0: thought what you do you'd do. say go all yeah. in. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, but yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, I can tell you what's worked for me is just like listening to my, listening to the people that I collaborate with mm-hmm. um, and understanding that what I'm making is not. I'm not making concert music, yeah. you know. I'm film music. It's supposed to help tell a story. With, with everybody else, you're you're part of an ensemble. <clears throat> so, what <clears throat> what's worked for me is just being a team player.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, with maybe that, that
1: else. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for jumping on um and for answering these questions. Thank you for uh humoring me with uh some more difficult questions at the end. I love stopping everyone in their tracks with what's the best decade of film? Like take a second yeah. to think of that really quickly. Uh but I, I do appreciate you coming on. Love the score for Bell. Um, it's yeah. it's a beautiful piece of work. And again, I'll link to that in the show notes. So if you're listening, you're on the fence, like listen to that score, go check out the trailer and you know go check out the movie like take a second to uh to listen and and watch it i said listen to the movie take a second to watch it and listening is a crucial part of that um but i'm i'm really excited to see what you do next and to see Thanks. kind of your work continue because again i think you're um i mean i think you're obviously incredibly talented i've i've only seen this from you so far um and again we were talking uh, off camera before and i was talking about seeing what people do with a small amount of resources. And you mentioned like doing all of this on your MacBook, you know, in your, in your living room, like I'm really excited to see what happens as you get, you know, more and more rope to play with uh, in the future. So um, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing a little bit of wisdom and hopefully everybody listening checks out Bell. Thanks for listening to the Film School Podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, don't forget to leave a five-star review and hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode.